Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is David Rambajan. David is the former CEO and founder of Industrial Construction Services and currently an executive consultant for them. Industria has been delivering commercial construction projects for government clients for over 25 years. These clients include various uh, state and federal agencies. Uh, this is a really important aspect of this particular episode because we're going to be diving really deep in how David was able to scale using these government programs and government projects. David is a serial entrepreneur through and through, investor, small business advocate, advisor, uh, about passionate, um, you know, really getting leveraging experience to help others. He has 25 years in his business, and uh, that's been in construction, real estate, and restaurant industries. After selling industrial construction, he spent a large portion of his time advising, paying it forward, and sharing his lessons learned with other founders, owners, and startups. And lastly, but certainly not least, uh, David is a U.S. veteran, uh, sergeant in the United States, Marine Corps. Um, so, David, thank you for your service, and welcome to Welcome the to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Justin, Will, thanks for having me on the podcast today. Appreciate it. I, you know, you said former. I'm telling you, I don't know, doing industrial for so long. When you say former owner, I'm thinking, I'm not the owner anymore. <laughs> you know, it's so weird to to put that past me and move on to this next chapter. But uh, good stuff ahead. Yeah, when I wrote it, I was like, oh, like that. There was a little like. Even our our small connection, I'm like, oh, it's a little bit of sadness there. I mean, it's a great, like, you know, great, you exited. That's amazing. Like, you won the entrepreneurial jackpot, right? Like, you did the thing. But yeah. it's that doesn't change the fact that, like, oh, it's like my baby, and now my baby's gone off, and and that there's a little bit of sadness to that. So, but let's let's dive in. Tell us your origin story, and tell us uh, all about Industria and how you started that, and then what you're doing now. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, my parents are immigrants from Trinidad, West Indies. And so uh, first generation here, uh, like most um, immigrant families, I was told to go to school, get a job, save up some money so that I could buy a house and then retire and then do gardening or something. I don't know what that, you know, the plan, the basic plan. And, you know, I was a good kid and I listened, um, but I always felt I had this little hustle in me and I wanted to do more. Um, so first at 18, I joined the Marine Corps to actually help for uh, college to help pay for some college turned out to be a great, uh, wonderful experience for me with the training and everything I learned and the values, um, that actually helped me as I went forward to go ahead and build my business. But after school, after attending university, 
I did get a job and I had a job for a year. And I just, after the year, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I talked to my parents and I said, I need a small loan. My mom lent me a little bit of money and I just started a business. Um, and it was supplying material for construction on a lot of municipal projects, city, county, and state. And that was the first of it, paid her loan back in the first year. And I, I was self-employed for, I'd say, eight to 10 years. And uh, eight to 10 years, I made a little bit of money and I was young and I was cool because I was an entrepreneur. But um, And I was really working hard and had my foot on the gas and nobody could stop me. I was a Marine, right? So we, no one's going to stop me. But I realized when I looked up, I really wasn't growing. You know, I was going, but maybe in circles. And so I had energy, but it wasn't really directed in scaling or building something or wasn't really focusing on my target. So I kind of, I kind of pulled back a little and uh, took a look at what I'm doing and a lot of the lessons learned and started digging a little bit more to see where am I going with this. And that's when I was able to focus more on general contracting and grow the business. Got it. So when start, you get this little loan from mom, do that thing. You realize, hey, I'm going, I'm not growing, uh, which is, a, I love that that statement. So I don't know if you utilize that, but you put that in the arsenal. That's beautiful. So this is all occurring. You get into real full-on general contracting. And then like, how, how does the business grow then? How do you go from going to growing? Yeah, well, for me in particular, what I did do is leverage some of these small business programs that are available in the city. And so I was aware of those and I knew I qualified for them. And I wasn't sure. I mean, there was a lot of lessons learned. I didn't have anyone to explain it to me or show it to me. My parents weren't aware of it. And I just jumped in. I don't have a degree in any kind of construction field, AEC, I'm architect or engineering, but I really immersed myself. First, I went back to DePaul and obtained my certificate in project management because I realized it is actually managing a project. And so I identified with that. And I said, well, I need more knowledge, right? I didn't need sort of the degrees and everything else. I mean, it's nice to have them hanging up, but but I just needed the knowledge. And so I kept learning. Now, I took the long road. I really did take the long road because I said for about 10 years, I was self-employed. I was doing a little bit of everything. I was making some money, but not at really huge retained earnings, which essentially I would imagine that's what most people need is retained earnings for reinvestment or to step away. So the small business programs helped me to get opportunities and grow the business. And then eventually, about 10 years into it, I learned about the federal programs. The federal programs, I thought, here I am at the city, county, and state. I'm not getting paid too well. There's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of paperwork. And I thought, this, I'm jumping out of the pot into the fire. And it wasn't the case. And it really leads me to another lesson learned, which is we have these perceptions of what we think things are. Or we hear about what thing, things are. And the most important thing is spend a little bit of time to look into it, to really understand it for yourself. Because even uh, people meaning well will say things about opportunities or programs or types of work. Well, I'd say don't always just take that as gospel. Go ahead and look into it for yourself, right? And see, because what I learned is the federal government opportunities had a lot of work, a lot of dollars to spend, 
their small business programs were really great. And when I really learned about it, I kind of said, okay, within my values, within the rules, how do I exploit these programs, right? I mean, how do I get the most? How do I squeeze the most out of these programs? And that's what I did. So the next 15 years, I scale the business and um, learned as much as I can about the programs and leveraged every opportunity of the programs to grow the business. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what some of these programs were and essentially what your findings were? Yeah. So, you know, I think for, for the most part, people are familiar with these programs called minority business opportunities or women business opportunities, right? Those are two common ones. Um, these are small business programs. Those are set aside for diversity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a disadvantaged business program and that disadvantaged uh, links instead of your um, diversity to your net worth or your assets or, 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 or where you're at on your net worth. But these small business programs for the city, county, and state, they were okay. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they give you opportunity, right? And the opportunity, you have to take that and make what you can from that opportunity. Uh, the federal ended up having a whole set of different programs. And um, there are five programs, actually. I'll share them with you. There's a small business program. There is an 8A program, which is a small business development program. There's a women-owned program. There's a service disabled veteran owned program, and there's a hub zone program. That hub zone program is for historically underutilized business districts that need economic uh, opportunity spurred in it. And so if your business or your employees are in these hub zones, you can qualify for that program as well. These programs have opportunities with them. So the hub zone, the federal government might say, hey, these contracts of this type for this product and service are set aside for hub zone firms. Now that gives that hub zone certified company an opportunity to reduce competition and gain more contracts to help them grow. Likewise, opportunities we set aside for women-owned business, opportunities we set aside for service-disabled veteran-owned companies. And I believe the numbers are somewhere around 50% of all those opportunities go to small businesses. So regardless of um, ethnicity or personal net worth, or whether you're woman owned or veteran owned or in a hub zone, you could be a small business. And that small business is defined on two areas, the size of your business based on revenues or the number of employees you have. So at the SBA.gov, you can look into that more and see if you qualify. But a lot of companies do qualify for small business opportunities. And those are the five areas. The 8A is really the best program, I believe, that's offered anywhere in the country by any government. And that is a nine-year program where they afford you opportunities for um, only bidding with 8A companies and or business development opportunities like joint ventures with larger firms and set-aside work. And in the world of construction, set-aside negotiated work is great work, um, as well as it would be for other products and services. And so that 8A program, which is a business development program, really gives you um, opportunities within that program 
to get work that's hopefully profitable that'll allow you to scale your business. And, and it did exactly that for me. So when we were in the sort of talking before, you talked about municipal, local, state and government, et cetera. What's the big difference between working with the, on the federal side versus let's say going through one of these 8A program? What loopholes or what, I mean, what hoops did you have to jump through in each of those? And then what was so attractive about AA, uh, 8A, excuse me? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's government work all over the country, right? And as I shared, wherever you're located in the country, your city likely might have a small business program or different types of program. Your county might have different programs. I know ours does here in Chicago, you know, we're bigger uh, uh, central area. And then the state has programs. Some overlap, but people will ask me sometimes, hey, Dave, you know, can I do this? And can I do that? Or, um, you know, here's the ownership structure. Are we woman owned? And I said, who's asking? And the reason I say who's asking is one thing I learned is the rules for every program are different. These programs are put together by those municipalities and their rules are their rules. What I can do in Chicago, I couldn't do in New York because their rules are different. And I don't have to agree or disagree because there are some people get frustrated and say, that's not fair. I don't put my, I well, over a drink, maybe I'll say that's not fair. But outside <laughs> of that, when I'm focusing on business, I say, okay, show me the rules. Let me know how to play and let's get to playing, right? So I tell people, Look at if they buy what you sell first and then look into whether or not there's any profitability there for you for what you're selling. You see, early on, I made the mistake of thinking if I get certified, I'm going to get work. So I'll certify with the city, the county, the state, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District. Anyone who had a certification, I spent my energy getting certified. That's not really how to do it, right? Lesson learned. What's important is, hey, here's what I sell. Here's what I can deliver. Here's the value I could bring. You buy it? No, thanks, have a good day. Can I sell it to you? Do I call for your program? No, you don't, see you later. I might not agree. What happened though that I found in my municipality is for construction, payment was a little bit longer on some of the municipal government projects. I mean, you can sometimes wait 60, 120 days to get paid. And for small businesses, cash flow is important. So that's a challenge sometimes. The other thing is there is some bureaucracy involved there. I mean, it is government and there's a lot of paperwork and sometimes that's difficult or challenging for small businesses. So as I shared, I thought, shit, I'm jumping out of the pot into the fire. What do you want? More federal problems? I mean, you can have more. But what I found is, yes, there is a ton of acronyms and a ton of contract documents and a ton of paperwork to fill out. But when I compared it to what I was doing here in the city, I was doing construction on the federal side right here in my same neighborhood with no, it, it didn't require permits, didn't require inspections that I required here in the city. And I was getting paid in less than 30 days, sometimes as quick as two weeks. I feel nervous saying that. People are going to like, but fellow girls like, no, don't tell them two weeks. You know, now I worked hard at understanding the processes, making the relationships within government and making the phone calls and doing the things I need to do to get opportunities, to win those opportunities, 
to deliver those projects and to get paid, right? So I ran the company, right? That's, you know, I didn't just uh, get certified and say, hey, go do the job, right? So there's the whole business side of it too, because I did it. And I think some people do it where they say, wow, I'm going to start a business because of that program. That's fine. But remember, at the end of the day, are you bringing value with whatever product or service to these clients? Because the opportunity will get you to the table, but it's not going to get you to keep coming back. Right? No, that yep. makes sense. It's all, uh, a few things to that. The inspections and permits. I mean, if anybody that's listening does work in Chicago, um, you you can uh, feel... Uh, you know this this magic that he that David just shared with us, and then also the the mindset of you know I don't make the rules I just need to know the rules so I can play the game most effectively which is I mean that's it that one that's a little bit of business right like that's a little bit of how it works no no question here when it's you're dealing with federal agencies or gov- any government kind of agency it's like to get change done at that level take if you're gonna fight that it takes forever. But then as well as like, don't worry about that. Just worry about what you can affect in the present, which actually makes me think of uh, your website talks about sharpshooter blueprint, mindset and all these different things. Talk, talk, talk about that. Hey, where did that come from? And two, what is it? Yeah, 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 sure. You know, and I'll tell you one thing. When you, when you talk about you're not going to be able to change the rules, there's things I don't agree with. Yeah. I mean, I'm currently on the board at the SBA for this five-state region, so I'm trying to enact some change. I'm trying to communicate and see. And like you said, it's very, very tough, right? But an example is, you know, the veteran program, I believe that the veterans have served our country and they've earned the opportunity to participate in some of these programs. Well, I'll get veterans coming to me and saying, hey, I want to do work on the federal, but I'm not service disabled, right? Which is a classification that you can obtain for any injuries uh, while while you were in service that's recognized by the Veterans Administration. And the VA at the time, it's now the SBA, would certify them as veterans. And I said, why are you certifying them as veterans? Well, we're certifying service-disabled veterans and veterans. And I said, I've never seen a project set aside for a veteran. Well, right now it's for service-disabled. Then why are you cert- why are you giving false hope to these small businesses that are veterans. So there are some challenges and, you know, everything takes time to work through. The program is primarily, and a lot of the programs, even across the country at different levels are for serviceable, but it's unfortunate because I think that, you know, veterans should have the opportunity just because they're veteran, not only if they're service disabled, right? So they service. So it's kind of, it's kind of shitty. It, you know, Hey, I, yeah. I put my, my neck out there just like the next guy. It, I was fortunate enough to not, have a, dis- a disability coming out of that, that shouldn't then disqualify me because I, the intent that I had was the same of someone else. So that's, that's my personal opinion. It's a little shitty that that's the way it shakes out. Yeah. Any, any veteran uh, who has their business is interested in that, you know, definitely reach out to me to, to, to talk. You know, it's funny. Sometimes as I say that people are like, David, you're going to get hundreds of people reaching out to you. You know, interestingly, not really. I don't know why, you know, I don't know why, but I get some, I get a lot of people to reach out, yeah. but not thousand, I'm willing to spend time to share, because here's what I said. If you are a veteran, what can you do? Well, I'll share that with you. I mean, there's still things you can do, right? If you, if you put aside the frustration, which, you know, I'm frustrated that it's not all veterans, 
and say, okay, well, what are the rules again? And how do I do it? I'll say, okay, here's how you can work yourself in. Here's how you can leverage that opportunity and still get um, in into some opportunities. So there, there, there are still ways. So, so you mentioned, yeah, I, if you look at my website, you know, I do talk about the sharpshooters blueprint. I do talk about that. And what it came from is as a, as a young uh, man in the 80s growing up and wanting to get stuff, I wanted more, right? And as a young entrepreneur, I wanted more. I wanted things actually. And I was searching for success and for wealth and for opportunities. And I had an idea of what I thought that was, right? And before the internet, which I know it ages me a little bit, you know, I buy the CDs and I buy the books and the programs to find out how to become the real estate guy or this kind of business or that kind of business or become wealthy. And I was always searching for that. And I was looking for some secrets, some loopholes, right? I was looking for, well, invite me to the secret group or society that I could be part of. I've earned it. You know, I had the opportunity to join venture with a, with a private local billion dollar company. And I thought in construction, and I thought, here I go. This guy's going to invite me to his office. It's all got the, the wood paneling on the walls. He's going to take the photo off the back of his desk, open the safe, and he's going to open up this thing that's going to glow and say, welcome. You know, you're part of the team now, right? I, I don't know. I'm just always looking for that secret, even when I still know there aren't any. And so what I realized over the years, the things that are very basic that make a difference are, are three things, real, real simple that I call the three R's. And I said, hey, everybody, all of us have time, energy, skill, relationships, maybe other things in our arsenal that we can use. So this is all we have, and this is what we're going to battle with. This is what we're going to try and build something with, you know, time, energy, skill, money, relationships. What are we trying to do? We're trying to hit a target. We're trying to go after maybe some wealth, and some different relationships and different, this is how we want our life to look. This is the target, right? And in between that, the third R is the risk. The risk often is something that scares us away. The risk is something that says, you know, go away. You're going to get hurt here. Federal, are you kidding me? Do you have attorneys? You want to get involved here? This is crazy, right? So the risk is something we have to look at and understand and address or mitigate or, or just ignore. Whatever you're going to do, though, just address the risk. That's it. What do you want? Right? I'll talk to small businesses and where are we going? I had to really define that for myself. Well, I wanted to focus on health, mind and body, because I knew that would make me stronger to do greater things. I want to focus on wealth so that I could make better choices and be able to step away and make a bigger impact. And then relationships. You know, I still want to be social and spend time with my family and friends. So those are the three big areas. So I focused on that. And I remembered one thing I talk about, which comes from the sharpshooter. When I was in the Marine Corps at age 18, part of our 14-week training was uh, rifle training. And I never picked up a rifle before. And they handed me the rifle and said, we're going to hit the targets. Well, in a matter of a few weeks of rifle training, I was able to master this weapon. And at 18 years old, I could take apart and put together that weapon blindfolded in seconds. I also, we shoot at 200 yards and 300 yards, two and three football fields. We also are the only branch, I believe, I'll say I believe for all the other branches, that <laughs> qualifies at 500 yards. So wait a second, I'm 18 years old in a matter of a few weeks, 
I shot expert at 500 yards, five football fields, and I qualified as a sharpshooter. And I said, how did I do that? So I looked back and I thought about it. And all we did was study, practice, sleep, and repeat over and over again, amongst other things, right? Physical training, everything else. But we just studied that weapon. We focused. I have my cell phone. You don't speak unless you're spoken to in the Marine Corps bootcamp training. You don't have evenings or weekends off. I don't know about any other branches, but it's straight through from start to finish of just training. And so that focus and that energy helped me to look at my business and put some of those skills into place. So I did it and I was pressing the gas, like I told you, and I was going, I wasn't growing. Thanks for making me highlight that, Justin. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is a beautiful statement. So I love and it. I was. I was going, no one's going to stop me either because I'm a Marine and you don't know what tough is. But I realized I wasn't scaling. I wasn't growing the business or heading in the direction that I wanted to head. I'm not talking about what other people want. I'm not talking about what you should be making this much money. I'm talking about what do you want? What does it look like? What does your extraordinary life look like? And then I realized I had to fuel those three R's with three things, the right mindset, the right knowledge and commitment. Now, when I took the mindset and I, and I, and I addressed it, right? All of us have been through different traumas in our life at different levels, whether you didn't get a car when you were in high school or you had some other larger trauma, you have to address your mind because sometimes we're not grounded. So things like meditation or journaling or counseling, or whatever you need to make sure that mentally you're growing. Knowledge never stops. I kind of think sometimes that I could continue to read book after book and uh, look at uh, uh, YouTube videos and podcasts and learn as much as I can. I'm not going to absorb a fraction of what the world has to offer. So I, to this day, I read a couple hours a day, constantly bringing in knowledge, especially for whatever I'm trying to do. And then that commitment. You know, it's happened to me many a times. Uh, uh, I opened a restaurant while I was growing Industria, and I thought it was cool. And what was happening is I was driving along in Industria, and the car was driving smooth. And I look over and I said, oh, that's cool. Look at that. Hold on to the steering wheel for a second. I went over there. It's <laughs> like, stay on the road. Where are you going? So I built this restaurant with a partner uh, or two. And um, I, you know, I thought it was cool because people would come. It's like, this is my restaurant sit at the bar, have a drink. That is so cool. I would have saved more money if I would have taken all my friends out to dinner every Friday night for two years. So it was a big <laughs> lesson learned. It was a big lesson learned. But this commitment is put the energy into it that's needed to get the return that you're looking for. So the sharpshooter's blueprint is a, a framework and some mental models for really hitting your personal and professional targets and sort of book I'm writing, sort of a platform that I speak about and I share with other small businesses and founders or just anybody who wants more, right? Because I'm not about telling someone, quit your job, right? It, well, what is it you want out of your life? And there's a lot of it out there. Quit work and you shouldn't work and you should get rid of your job and do a side hustle. I don't know. What is it you want? I mean, I'm jealous of some people who have a great job, go home, spend time with their family, enjoy playing their video games. They're living their great life. And when I think about it, it, reminds me of a lot of these guys who are in the trades, right? They're not doing side hustles and they're not starting businesses, but they will be able to retire at a reasonable age with the union benefits and the programs 
as a union trade worker in the military. My my nephew is 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 uh, um, did 22 years in the military. He's in his younger 40s. He's retired and he has enough money to live for the rest of his life. So you don't I don't want to you know tell people do what I think you should do. I say, what is your target look like, right? For 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 um, health, what does it look like for wealth, and what does it look like for relationships? And put some detail in there, and then go after it. Because I'd like to say, I think I'm a marketing guy. Uh, yeah, I'm a marine. I do push forward, but I'm not like highly schooled. I mean, I have school and been to school, but it's not where I learn to do what I do. So I think most people, if they put this sort of blueprint into place, can hit their own targets as well. So I just want to go back real quick to the restaurant. We call that a squirrel moment. You know, when a yeah. dog looks looks to the side and then chases after it, and then yes. when, when it's gone, goes back to whatever they were doing. That's definitely a squirrel moment. <laughs> I, I, I remember this one. I love this one. It's it's uh, Homer Simpson on The Simpsons. And his boss says, the guys out here, you're going to have to watch this room now. It's critical. There could be a lot of problems here. He said, I am focused. Nothing is going to get me off track from doing what I have to do. You can count on me, sir. And then the window's right there. And he goes, ooh, a blue bird. And he starts chasing the bird. <laughs> it took two seconds. <laughs> So often I'll put a blue bird in my office and I'm just like, be careful. Don't look at that. But yeah, it's so funny. You want to stick to it. And boy, shiny objects get our attention. Cool. You know, it is built into us. We're like, look at how cool that is. Or look at, look at the profitability that person's having. Well, really it's look at the profitability. I think that person's having, look at what I think that looks like. Because oftentimes, depending on your product or service, nobody really knows the details of what goes into it, right? How much resources you put in, what's the risk associated with it, and now what's the real return? You know, like what's what's the real return if I change this out? Okay, don't do construction. Let's do painting. Let's do, which I did, by the way. I was signature of the painters. We did painting. Squirrel. Painting. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Squirrel. Yeah. And so, but it's interesting to think about. When people ask me, should I, should I do real estate? Should I do NFTs? Should I do this? Should I do that? I said, I don't know. What do you, what's your target look like? And then even at your target, there are a bunch of opportunities to make, to grow some wealth in many different areas, right? But do you know what the, the three R's look like? What's the resources going to take? What's the risk in that? You know, before you set in that direction, put a little time in because I've made that mistake. I really have. Right. And what is, it? I think it's Stephen Covey one where he says, um, you know, when you're climbing the ladder, be careful. It's not against the wrong wall. Right. <laughs> that, that, you climb the ladder. It's like, wait a second, it's the wrong wall. And people say to me, well, if I'm done, if I'm going down the railing, I could just change lanes. I said, no, sometimes you have to drive back to where you could change lanes and then start over. So, so yeah, you can do different things. I did, you know, after I, after I got this plate spinning, I went and I did set up another one and I do do a couple different things. But one of my, one of my downfalls is early on, I was doing too many different things. And so that commitment is something I always speak to, to try and give it the time, right? What's uh, what's the, um, you can't get three women together and have a baby in three months, right? You need the nine months. So you can't rush certain things. 
and you know this little beautiful machine that we all have in our pockets or hands you talk about uh shiny object or blue bird syndrome uh in your case it is always on as i mean you kind of mentioned should i do this or that or this guy's doing drop shipping and this guy's making nfts and this person's doing flipping houses and this one's doing this other thing with houses or having rental and it's just like well where are you going you know where where what is the target to your point because that that makes that makes all the difference not that one is the way or one's not the way it's more of what is your way right yeah and all those a lot of those choices are often from superficial information right so it's a something we saw or something someone said and in the book i talk about um a validity matrix right so at the bottom of that is a ton of information at the base of this triangle that's just information as you go up and you get to the top now it's double blind studies right somewhere in the middle there's extra expert opinion right somebody who's actually done it right so you want to be able to say well because people tell me you know oh i think i might flip properties i mean i've made money in real estate but i've lost money too and and you don't just want to say i'm going to flip a property especially if you're putting all your chips in right what's the risk for you and unfortunately, I've seen it. I've seen it uh, too many times where where uh, people will take all their chips and put it in something that they they heard on TV. You could just flip. I mean, you can 10x everything you're doing by just taking a course. And I, uh, it sounds like I'm highlighting someone, but not meaning to. But um, you know, you just can't 10x everything, right? Yep. The, the the big secret. The big secret is, you know, focused strategic uh, attention to a plan with your with your focused resources is going to give you a nice return, right? You can, that, that, that sharpshooter that's trying to hit that target at 500 yards, just, just pick up the weapon and start firing all over the place, right? The shotgun approach. No, oftentimes, you know, when you see a sharpshooter in a movie, they're taking their time, they're sitting there, they're waiting for the right time. They're putting the right amount of energy in, they're breathing, they're focusing, they're squeezing the trigger. They're not pulling it. They're taking their time to hit the target versus just wasting that energy right so yeah i think these what what i what, what i'm trying to do here with, with the sharpshoes blueprint is say quit running to a great idea there's great ideas and some of them might be the one you want to do but before you run to the great ideas before you implement some magnificent motivational thought pull back take a deep breath because because you know the phone when I talk about mindset, our mind's always racing, 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 and we think we never have a minute. And that racing mind doesn't do us any favors when we're trying to make choices. So, so that's why the mindset is a calm mind can make clearer choices. You'll see a sharpshooter in the movies when you think about them, making a little tea, making a little coffee, taking a little time, taking some notes, right? Just relax, waiting, right? So, to be able to shoot like a sharpshooter, to be able to hit those targets, calm down for a second. You got to get yourself in a place or thought. And and I know the restlessness, right? I probably, if it was nowadays, I'd, I'd have ADD. Back then, they didn't know what it was. But I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. It's like, okay, okay, take a deep breath. Because if you put the time and energy up front, they'll have better returns later. And that's what... I believe the simple, you know, uh, uh, framework of thought is 
And this mental model of, you know, resources, risk, return, mindset, knowledge, commitment can kind of get you on the right path so that all those energies will get you closer to hitting some of those targets sooner than later. That's I want and me and Will both love mindset stuff where yeah. we we gush on it. It's underutilized. People, you know, think it's this, you know, people think of that and they think of like Tony Robbins, rah, rah. Yeah. And that's not like, that's not, no, 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 that's not it. Like some people that works perfectly for them, but it's more of you, you figuring out how you get in your um, level of comfort and superpowers, right? Like that's, that's creating, you know, a real mindset to it. They also you, think, they also think it's the, they also think it's the, um, you know, you're going to will it and it's going to come. There's, yeah, that's for you, Will. Like, you know, it's gonna come, right? Like if you will, if I get a picture of a Lamborghini in front, I'm just going to do it. I just got to do it, you know, and, and it's going to come. It's going to happen. Yeah, but you still got to put the plan and work it. I mean, I think like you're saying, Justin, the mindset more so is, is it, well, David, the mindset, what do you, come on, what, seriously, be, come on, let's talk practical now. Let's talk practical. Look, mindset's going to make a difference. I said, the mind affects the body. Oh, I said, wait a second. If you picture it's lunchtime and you're thinking about that burger that's going to come out and it's sizzling and you can't wait. It's got a pretzel bun. It's got a, your mouth starts watering. How did you thinking of something get your body to do something? I apologize to all the listeners right now. If it's breakfast and you're listening right. to this and you're wanting a burger right now, right. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think. Listen, 15 years ago, I'd laugh at myself when I said journaling. Oh, journaling, Justin, what are you going to do? Put in your little diary. You put, I do. Yeah, I got, do. I've got my journal book. Yeah, but, but what are you going to do? You can put in your little diary. You're going to put a little lock on it, Justin. This is guys, right? Guys are tough on other guys. Anything they're going to poke at you at, they're going to poke at you. But what I learned is, what is the purpose? What do you want? Well, you want a clear mind. You want a clear mind. You want to be able to think clearly. You want to be able to make sound decisions. You want to be absorb information. You want to be able to listen and then make choices. Not be reactive, right? But responsive, right? So, so how do you do that? Your mind has so much in it. You have to get it out. You get it out like this. Get together with friends and talk and and you know that's part of it. Being social. Part of it is counseling, maybe if you need it. Part of it is meditating and being calm or practicing whatever meditation means to you in silence, yoga. And it's also writing down your thoughts. Any way you can get it out of here so that it's more clear, that's the mindset. And I wish I would have known it earlier, but I would have joked about it earlier and said, oh, I'm going to put a diary together and put a lock on it. You're not going to find it. Yeah, my kids my kids uh, journal now too, and I think it's important. So, No, I... Same thing about a year or two, not this January, January before is when this all started for me and couldn't look back. It's, it's amazing. It is, it's a difference maker for sure. All right, let's, let's get back. Let's get back into how you grew though. Uh, let's, let's go direct. Yeah. Let's go directly to that. So one, one thing you, you'd mentioned, like there are, you're getting towards a target. You're trying, you're trying to, you know, get a, a bigger GC for federal. That's effectively what was uh, happening there. Uh, that's going to get you some more freedom, wealth, all the, all the beautiful things you're looking for. You had mentioned shortcuts, joint ventures being possibly a part of this equation. Can you talk about what joint ventures look like? 
uh, or what they did look like for you, how you utilize them with the government programs, how how working with a bigger company can kind of help you just bump up the bump up the numbers, obviously scale up. Yeah, I know. I know it works well in the federal programs. Mm-hmm. It could also work well in even private work or other municipal work. But the federal program lets you have a mentor firm. Now, remember, I told you about 50% of all the federal work is set aside for small business or one of the yep. small business categories. Well, the large businesses would like to get to some of that work, but they can't. Right. So the government has a program. They say, well, why don't you join venture with a small business? That small business is 51% and in charge. You offer them mentorship, understanding financials, maybe help with estimating, maybe help with other resources. That's allowed. The reason to say it's allowed under this program is you technically can't go get a project and win a $5 million job and subcontract it all to a large business, right? That's sort of not the intent of the program. So they gave you, said, well, why don't you join venture? You're going to gain some experience. Large business will get some experience. And I was able to do that. So what I really thought about is, what do you want again? What's the target look like, Dave? Profitable revenues. Okay, let's work backward. Profitable revenues, how? As a prime. How else? As a joint venture. Joint venture with who? Joint venture with a large business who can take me places that I otherwise wouldn't have went. And I was able to do that and do work in different markets across the country. When I was doing my prime work, that was my core business. Then I had the joint venture with a mentor. Then I also had a joint venture with a small business locally. Why? Because that was another way to do work that I otherwise couldn't do, right? Partnering, teaming, subcontract. I was a sub on a $40 million job. And that $40 million job, the federal government said, we want you to have small businesses in your $40 million job. But the job was so unique, there was really not much for anyone else. It was a deep tunnel project, right? Mm-hmm. Huge company to a deep tunnel. But that deep tunnel project had a, a control building, a small control building for, for, for the uh, tunnel. And I bid the building. It was a small building. So, you know, maybe a million and a half, two million. I bid the building and they... I got the building because they had what I was doing is finding out how things fit, where it would. I wanted to maintain my margin. So I didn't want to just compete, you know, in the pond with everybody. I wanted to back off, climb the hill and find these opportunities that I could be strategic with to maintain my margin. And there's opportunities, at least on the federal, to do that. And sometimes I'd learn, okay, this wouldn't be the place. Okay, well, let's pull off and go in this area, right? So there are different ways to join venture, to team, to partner, to work as a sub, a key subcontractor, all looking at how do I get more profitable revenues while managing that risk, right? How do I get, here's my team, here's my resources. How do I go after it? And for me, what I did that allowed me to scale is I worked closely. So prior to doing this, I was doing some surety consulting work prior to being a GC. And what I needed, the bonding, I went to them and said, hey, it's me. I do the consulting work for you. I handle projects that go south. When bonds are pulled, I come in and I help clean up these projects. I learned quickly, that doesn't mean anything. You have to earn your bonding, just like credit. So I start off at half a million. And then I had partners who had more bonding that I team with. 
And then I grew mind bonding to a million, to three million, to five, to 10, to 20. When I sold the business, we had 50 million in bonding uh, aggregate, right? Uh, 20, uh, 20 million single. And so that allowed us to, what I did is I took the retained earnings and reinvested into the company because that was one of the challenges is to be a good um, steward of those dollars on behalf of my company and the employees of my company. And so um, I would take those dollars and reinvest it in the company or reinvest it into the assets of the company so I didn't need to pull on the line of credit as much. Reinvest into the assets of the company so I could afford to do a project and even wait to get paid if the margin was good enough. I can wait to get paid if the margin was high enough. So that's why I started reinvesting. And then a big thing, of course, is using those dollars to hire people that I couldn't afford before. You know, really hire the highest level quality of people to be my project managers and my superintendents who can really help me to build the business by delivering these uh, large capital federal projects. So you keep mentioning margin, okay? So do you want to talk a little bit about, are you willing to talk a little bit about margin <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of uh, you know, uh, what typical GCs, you know, uh, and subs make versus okay. what you were targeting and making? Yeah, you know, no, I'll, I'll share that. And I will share it because of this. I had no idea. I didn't know. <laughs> I know what I was marking it up and I know what I needed. And I wouldn't win a project and somebody would say, Dave, you got to lower your numbers. You're not winning. Imposter syndrome. Well, who the hell am I? Okay, sir. You know, okay, guys. Thanks, community, for telling me, you know, you're not winning, Dave. These are guys who I know. Just, you got to lower your number. And then I looked at it. I said, wait, if I lower my number, I can pay everybody. I can pay my salary, but I have no retained earnings. So essentially, I'm paying myself to have a job, which is okay to an extent, but that's not what my my target was, my target was retained earnings to be able to maybe walk away someday or sell or reinvest in the company. So I remember one time my surety said, hey, you're doing pretty good. And I appreciated that. I said, oh, thanks. And they shared with me in general terms that looking at my financials were required for the bonding company, that my profit over margin was pretty good. Now, it wasn't only because I was making a higher percentage of profit than the industry. So let's say the industry in competitive government work, a GC for a three to $5 million project might put 3% on it, sometimes 2%, 1%, maybe even zero. People who have been four and 5% might not win that job. So it gets competitive depending upon how much work is out there, what's going on in the market, you're bidding it at points. I had the opportunity through the relationships I developed on the federal small business programs to bid a little bit higher. When I graduated the nine-year program that I was getting great margins with, I planned ahead of time and had a joint venture with another 8A firm, showing them how I used the program to grow my business, but also getting 49% of those profits. So even today, we have three joint ventures, woman-owned joint venture, 8A joint venture, and my company was purchased by a non-veteran, non-minority, and so we have a service disabled joint venture too, right? So, so I looked at the margins and one of the reasons my margin over revenue was higher than the market was not only because of my markup, 
it was because of my other little strategic relationships. So I made this, uh, let's, I'm going to pick a number. Let's say it was 6% that I was making over um, revenue. It was a little higher, but at the end of the day, I added to that by a separate project I had over here. I learned about federal programs and had a project over here. I looked at a project which was, you know, a big power upgrade. And this company who could do the power upgrade couldn't get to that project. Let's get together. Let's go after that. Let's figure out how we can do it together. And we get that. And that it yields profitability. And so these little projects that I do that were within the rules and my values, because there are things you could do that are slightly outside of the rules. There are things you could do that are- A gray area. Yeah, there. they're great. Yeah. I'm not interested. Not interested. There's enough within the rules and within uh, my values to make good money, right? Um, so I didn't want to go there, but I exploited every rule. I mean, I, I literally exploited rules where- they're like, wait a second, what are you doing here? I'm like, uh, I read the municipal code. I believe you could do this and this. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Now they <laughs> might go change it after I found out I figured it out. I remember I got a call and I got a call for a project we got in New Orleans and it was with my mentor firm and they're a large business and they're known around the country. And the contract officer called me and said, the project that you bid on, you were a parent low bidder, David, you were protested. Now I've learned the program. I said, okay. She said, David, uh, I called her right away and I said, well, what's going on? She goes, we were protested and uh, the company is protesting says that that company is a large business and they're doing the majority of the work. I said, okay, first of all, contracting officer, thank you for taking the time. I want to let you know that I have nothing against protests. Protests are a means of ensuring that work goes to the small businesses they're attended for. But I am currently in the 8A program. I'm also certified as a service-disabled veteran-owned firm with the VA. Um, I have a formal mentor-protege program with the SBA. Under that mentor-protege, my joint venture with the large business is considered a small business and also now considered a service-disabled business. It was really nice silence I heard because she was thinking, thinking. She goes, yes, you're right. Okay, Dave, we're all set. Thank you. And then I got the job. <laughs> hey, that business is partnering with a lawyer. I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to. I don't have to agree or disagree with it, but I'm going to do everything the program allows me to do, again, within my values too, right? And then also I paid forward. I, I continue to pay forward. That's why I'm on the boards of different organizations and showing other people. Why are you showing other people to do what you do? There's a ton, a ton, a ton of work available. There is. And, you know, I'm still me. So, you know, it took, it took you know, 20 years to get to this point and learn these things. So just sharing it with someone, hopefully will help them do better, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to take away from my work. This is, this is where knowing, knowing the rules and playing the game, this is, this is, the whole thing. It's like knowing the rules of like Texas Hold'em, but how you play the game is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I said, Hey, David, you built a business and you have resources and capabilities. You could bid work, go bid some private work, go do some, build your business. So you're doing federal and private. And I looked over there and I realized that's not something that I was 
it would take me too long to do what's going on there. There's some really great deep relationships in private work. And no matter what most people say, there's a lot of it there. And that's okay. They've developed relationships. And there's a lot of um, entertaining going on there. There's no entertaining on the federal side. The only entertaining I do is with my employees, right? We have employee outings and programs and get together. But I'm not having to entertain the country. In fact, if I bring donuts, they get nervous to a meeting. If I bring yeah. coffee, they'll throw a quarter on the table, right? There is no influencing federal contracting officers. It could be a problem for them and for you. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to take the title of a federal contractor and I'm happy with it. And it helped me hit my targets and I don't have to be everything else. And then the company was a standalone federal contracting company that was no longer reliant on the initial programs I started. We're no longer MBE. We're no longer veteran owned. We're no longer disadvantaged business, but we are a commercial federal contractor. And that's why I was able to, um, to sell it. So again, congratulations on the exit. It's always, uh, you know, the jackpot uh, of entrepreneurship, or at least that's what they say. Hey everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something that gets you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. When did you start uh, working yourself out of the business? And this may have been before you were going to sell. This might have been like, I just want more freedom. I just want to be able to go off to Colorado anytime I want and uh, not worry that the <clears> business <throat> is going to, the walls are going to fall down. So yes. how, did, how did you start that process of, I want more freedom? Um, Yeah, so I had to think of uh, succession and how it works. And I remember I'd always tell my wife, by 55, I'll be done. By 50, because, you know, uh, I I, I did balance a little bit and and I did spend time with family and do other things, but I was building a business. I mean, it takes a lot of the time too. And so sometimes it interferes, especially early on. It just does, you know? And so, so by 55, well, I looked at my targets and I looked at what I was looking for. And I hit some of my targets financially. And I said, well, wait a second. And I, and, you know, this happens. You bump it up. I tell entrepreneurs, be careful, be careful. You set a target and then you bump it up. Then you bump it up. Hey, I can't wait till I do 5 million a year. That's going to be crazy. Well, I want to go to 10 million. Wait till I hit 25. I want to do 50 million. Well, are you chasing top line or bottom line, buddy? You know what I mean? Are you flexing? Or are you trying to hit some real personal targets? So I looked at it and, um, you know, I thought about options and some of the options were, why don't you get a partner? And what I realized is I'm either in or I'm out. These clients know me. The government knows me. They count on me being the leader of this company when there are issues or challenges to come in and negotiate and discuss and handle safety and quality, get it done and work with my team. So I'm either in or I'm out. So I decided that I have to be out. And then I thought about what are the options? Can I do an employee-owned company, which would have been cool, a little more, a little too much for me to put into place. 
Um, so I started thinking about five years into it, how can I groom someone to look at the possibility of either taking over or making the entity saleable in itself, right? Buying those systems and processes for the operation that someone could take over and run it like a franchise. So putting it together, and I decided to bring on a key person, a vice president of the company, and spoke to him. He had interest. And actually, five years into him being on the team, I said, I think I'm ready to leave a little earlier, if you are. And he wasn't really too sure either. We discussed it. Um, and he was able to uh, get an, an SBA loan and purchase the company. There were other things involved, right? But succession has to be thought about, I think, 10 years is a good time to think about succession, to think about it, because some things take that long to put into place. But uh, for sure, five years, you have to you have to know what the exit is going to look like so that you can have a good exit. A good exit meaning that, you know, get get something out of it that you put all this energy into. And also, I wanted to take care of the employees who helped me build this. I can't do it without them. So I want all of them to have an opportunity to continue for them and their families. And so that's how I did it. And it, and it worked out with uh, actually my vice president is now the uh, owner and president of the company. Nice. Great planning there. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, listen, believe me, a lot of lessons learned on that, too. A lot. And so a lot of my friends who have their firms, they all were calling me. Hey, what are you doing? We were just all, what are you doing? You know, because they're on the hamster wheel. And I said, where are you going? Like, how much do you need? You know, like, what's the end game? You know, like what's really the end game? And so um, I'm sharing with them my my lessons learned on that as well. So that, uh, and my thoughts on it so that they can take that information and make their best choices, right? Of course. And being armed with the right information to be able you know, to make those choices. Well, well, I'll tell you, you know, the, the, the Marine Corps talks about standard operating procedures. That's what we learned about, you know, systems and processes and routines. When I did the restaurant, my partner, who's very much in the restaurants, taught me about uh, uh, people, processes, and equipment, or, or as you guys would say, technology. Yeah. Um, and and what my what my vice president, when he came in, he helped me. I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, from Trinidad, West Indies, so we're Asian Indian, and uh, for those who know, you know, we save a lot, so I'm pretty cheap on stuff. So so he uh, he helped me say, hey, you know, like go with a dollar so we can invest in infrastructure. So he actually helped us grow even better by putting into place some better processes and technology. And we ended up using a technology called Procore and it was expensive to me. It is an expensive investment, but that investment paid back and it paid back and our ability to understand our projects, our management, our dollars, work with our clients. I mean, it is, it is pricey, right? But I think that understanding what you need and the right tools you need will help you be more efficient and more profitable and run and operate the business better. And so he, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to take credit for that. Uh, as a vice president, he came in and, and helped me to look at things. It was great to have somebody to, to challenge me and to be open to listening and try different things. And, and that, that, that interaction helped me to uh, make those choices um, to, to continue to scale the business. So I actually just had an experience. I, I bought a new house and I'm putting a new toilet seat on. And the way they work now is they come with these like caps where you, you, know, you screw them in, but you have to like 
you know, use a wrench and screw them in all the way and the top cap pops off when it's officially in place. <clears throat> well, all I had was needle nose pliers. So it was not very easy because I, I just didn't have the right tool. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to leave this. And then I'm going to come back when I have a, you know, a ratchet that it's at my other house. And sure enough, it took me all of 30 seconds to finish what I was doing because I had the right tool in comparison to like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to like, you know, try to, you know, make this go the right way. And it, it, it is, it was a very telling uh, reminder of like, yeah, the right tools make a job significantly easier. There are a couple, a couple billion dollar companies that, that I work with here in, in, in their privately owned in Chicago. And I learned some things from them, other bigger companies too. And they would oversee, they were much bigger than me, you know, and, and, and even somewhere, you know, 300, 400 million. And I noticed that the way they managed is they had a dashboard of all their projects. And when they meet, the, it was, it was, it was, it was, um, it was uh, push reporting instead of pull reporting. So before I'd call, hey, what's going on in the job? What's going on? So I'm pulling information. Whereas now in Procore, all the information's in there. I can go glance at it or call and go, hey, update your numbers, update your changes, update your billings, update. So now I have the dashboard to look at all the projects and steer the ship from a higher level versus putting those energies towards micromanaging or pulling information. And it was hard to understand that, right? But but it was it was again, yeah, you know, I credit that to him and getting people to challenge you whether they're in your company or outside your company to say, okay, what are you trying to do here? How can we make it more efficient for where you want to be? Hey, there are some companies that maybe don't need it if they're small enough, and that's how big you want to be. Okay, maybe there's a different solution for you. But um, yeah, this one worked out for us. And what's so great that he was able to do is he could look at all our work and all our numbers and all our data and break it down by industrial, this joint venture, that joint venture, all of it together. It just allowed you to understand what's going on and have the data to make decisions at a higher level that we didn't have before. So it's just, it's crazy. I don't want to do a sales pitch for Procore because they took all my money, but <laughs> they got a good solution. I think they know it. And so they said, okay, we're raising the price, you know, but uh yeah, that worked that worked out well and and um yeah that's another knowledge on the blueprint learning lesson right another knowledge learning lesson did cybersecurity ever play a part in working with the federal government yeah you know there are there are some requirements now i will tell you there are so many requirements on the federal side that there are probably things i wasn't meeting and as i grew i had to meet them even more because they'd audit me or check on them but yeah, there are some, depending upon what you're doing for the product or service you're offering, there are certain um, infrastructure for cybersecurity that's required to protect the data and communication with the government. We didn't have too much interface in that. We did know that sometimes as over the years, you know, we couldn't give them a jump drive anymore because they couldn't put a jump drive into their computer. So they had to have certain platforms to accept data from us for closeout documents or pay request. And then if we were communicating with government systems, yeah, sometimes they required that we were using certain type of infrastructure. Now we, we uh, at the point we're at now, we do have an, an IT company that manage our infrastructure and have put into place some of those things. So depending on the product or service, yes, cybersecurity may pay a part your interaction with the federal government. So, Justification. So what's the justification for, is it pay to play essentially for 
uh, putting investing in cybersecurity. What do you mean? Well, um, without it, would you have been able to bid on the federal? Uh, oh, federal yeah. So, so what happens is there's some people whose businesses are construction and they're IT, right? So they're interfacing with their infrastructure, their system. They have to meet certain. So the specifications of the requirements for the product or service you're providing, in this case, it'd be, you know, services, maybe even products too, computer infrastructure equipment. You have to, if you're interfacing with their systems, then they will outline the cybersecurity requirements for you to be able to speak to them. And in those instances, that's not an option. That's a requirement, right? And so they'll say, you need to demonstrate with us. And they'll, they do audits too. And if you are not in compliance with certain audits, there are processes where you can be banned from doing government work and or, you know, if it was knowingly done or putting at risk the federal government could be prosecution. But the worst thing is to be banned from something that feeds you good opportunities. And so, yeah, the specifications for certain, I know if you're doing a cat five, it's probably cat six or seven now, it's been a minute, sorry. But if you're doing uh, low voltage connections to their computer systems, and we would do it from the terms of temperature control systems. So we'd have infrastructure being built with temperature control. We'd have to hook that into their systems. And they're like, well, wait a second, you can't touch who's connecting to our system. And so in those instances, there were protocols and requirements, right? And so our subcontractor who was doing that would have to meet those protocols. So the, the answer is a, a resounding yes, but it depends on the product or services that you're interfacing with the federal government well, with. Okay. And I'm assuming then uh, in order to be able to pass those audits, you had third-party assessments or do third-party assessments to be able to ensure that you are going to pass those audits. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as familiar myself with it, but the answer is yes. And the reason I'll say yes is because, for instance, Department of Labor audits us and then they'll come back and say, okay, show us what you did out of nowhere. Right. You said you were going to do these things and we went away for a few years. We just came. We were down the block. We're going to knock on your door. Stop right now and show us that you've been sending your subcontractors uh, updates based on EEO requirement. That's like a requirement. Hey, you need to notify your subcontractor that you're an EEO company and that they're required to follow those requirements as well. Oh, we do that. Show us. Right. So audits do occur. And, you know, the audits occur, at least from my exposure, to ensure that you're complying with the program. And so people will get scared sometimes and I'll say, hey, just comply. You know, the specs, the specifications of the delivery of your work are deep. You have to read them. Or somebody so, has to read them and then you have to meet those requirements. Ignorance is not considered an excuse, right? Like I didn't know. Okay, well, you're banned. <laughs> well, what happens is if you get what they do in the federal government is they give you ratings based on your performance after each project. And those ratings go into a um, database and contract officers can look up uh, your company to see your ratings. And they're allowed to say, we're not selecting industrial for this contract. We're going to go to the second bidder for more money because of these ratings. Not a good place to be. Very like, uh, interesting. Uber driver ratings. You got yeah. you got to be good, otherwise you ain't getting rides. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know Uber's rating me. I said, "Hey, what are right. you rating me?" <laughs> you They're know? like, "Hey, Dave, you you better uh, be a little bit nicer next time you're in the car." Oh, hi. Pardon me. Sorry. Please, can we yeah, please right, go to the destination right. I inputted in the app? 
I think okay. Airbnb does that too, right? Airbnb rates me. I'm like, you're rating me. Was it rating me? Well, yeah, they were a good customer in our as we hosted them, you know. But um, yeah, that that is a part now. That is a part. And uh, at the, what I look at is what is going to impact my bottom line. I just keep it real simple. That final R includes profitability. And I'll tell my company, I said, hey, let me start with what we're about. We're about safety. We don't want anyone to get hurt. We want everyone to come home, right? And, and go back to their families, as well as anyone near or around our projects. Second thing is quality. We want to do it once and do it right the first time. And the last one is profitability. That's why we're in business. And that's how we continue to stay in business for all our benefits. Because some people don't want to mention profitability. It's like, why not? Of course. It's why we're all here, right? To, to, to make some profits, to hopefully reinvest and to have great teams and events and programs and make it a great place to work and continue to hit targets and pay it forward. One of the things that you had mentioned in a pre-interview is something called 179D. I thought it was super awesome. Could you okay. talk about that and what it is, how you leveraged it, right? So those are one of the things where I said, here's my profit over revenue wasn't just on my construction projects. Profit over revenue was understanding processes and opportunities and having different strategies to get more profitable revenues and or get money back. So we all know about the PPE, right? I mean, not PPE, uh, PPP, right? PPE, (laughs) but the PPP program, right? We have PPP and employee credits, right? You get employee credits back due to COVID and all this other stuff. Well, there are all types of tax rebate opportunities and programs. And one I found was that if you're building a private building, as a private developer, you can apply for an energy efficient credit to your to be applied to your taxes and reduce your taxes. I said, wow, that's cool. I'm not doing any. How does the government do that? Well, the federal government can't apply for it. So what they say is the contractor, the architect, the engineer, anybody involved on that project within the different rules can apply for that tax rebate. The minute I found it, I said, well, okay, same sort of thing. What are the rules, right? And the rules said I can go back five years. That was when it got crazy because I've done a ton of projects over the last five years. And so the consultant working with us um, looked at it. I mean, even my accountant was a little concerned and nervous at the dollars that were coming back. Because what happened was if you had that moving forward, it will reduce your tax burden. So if you owe $10, they'd say, oh, you know, with the 179D tax rebate, you actually only owe seven. Oh, great. I get to keep those $3. Mm-hmm. Well, because I was going back five years, they sent me checks for the money back. And if I had rebates that were bigger than my $10 taxes, I could have no tax and I could push the extra dollars forward three years if I recall the, the years. Crazy. Do, how do I play? How does it come in? A, how do, what do I have to do? What's your fee? And the fees were a little hefty too in some instances, but I built a business where I had dollars available to pay the fee. They want their fee right away. You might not see your money for three to six months, but three to six months, a check would come in the mail 
And I'm like, do I have tax on this money? No, that's your tax money back. Take it. And so, yeah, you know, I would save that money because that could be audited as well. And I wanted to make sure that I complied properly with the program if they did audit me. And there came a time when I remember my accountant called me and he said, hey, guess what this month is? I said, what? It's the final month they can audit you for all those rebates you got. Okay. I guess it's over. I participated in the program. I didn't get audited. I believed I did it the right way. And that added to my bottom line. So yeah, 179D is an opportunity within municipal work where architects, engineers, and contractors can solicit for that. And if anyone's interested, they can follow me on that. And I'll ask for a percentage of that return now. (laughs) (laughs) Something about getting money, uh, tax money back from the government that just, uh, it feels Feels great. (laughs) Right? Get some of our tax dollars back. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was crazy because the stars aligned at the time I learned about it, I was holding on to five years of heavy projects. And uh, the way they do it, they give three rebates, one for the building envelope, one for electrical upgrades, and one for mechanical upgrades that are energy efficient. And so, you know, nowadays you're always doing energy efficient, you know, infrastructure. So we met it with every project. And you can only take that rebate one time on that property. So if there's a building that the federal government has and the three rebates were issued, but next year they do another overhaul of the building, you can't, on that footprint, you cannot take it more than Mm. once. And so, yeah, I took it on a lot of buildings, but there's still opportunities out there, right? So sometimes... Yeah, take a second, be a little frustrated. It was, ah, man, those opportunities are gone. No, they're not. The next opportunity is right in front of you. Focus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, love it. Love it so much. Awesome. So we, uh, we one final question that we ask all our guests is uh, if you could go back 20 years, Dave, and tell yourself something, give yourself some advice, what would that be? That would have been 2003, by the way. Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I'd say is to uh, seek sort of mentorship or coaching or advice or advisors to challenge me, those who I believe in their opinion and look at what I'm doing. Because sometimes as entrepreneurs, we're in a silo and we're in charge and we believe what we believe, even if it's not grounded. And so I could have, um, luckily when I had the mentorships uh, on the federal level, I learned a lot and I also learned a lot and they also learned a lot. They literally said, wow, you're doing well. What are some of the things you do? And I shared it. Everybody can learn. And so the more you learn early on and challenge yourself, you can sharpen that saw, you know, within this mental framework of mindset, knowledge, and commitment to do more. So my scaling was done. In about 10 to 15 years. I've been in business for going on 30 years. So I was self-employed for the other 15. <laughs> I was okay, you know, I, I but I wasn't building anything. And the, why do you need to build something? Why? Because part of my goal was to step away. And I said at 55, I did it at 53, right? So at 53, I, I, I uh, was able to do that. But yeah, I think, I think, I tell myself to seek or set up up a little board of advisors with people I trust. 
for free 99. I'm going to tell you to go pay a bunch of people to, you know, buy them lunch once a quarter, buy uh, your accountants, your financial advisor, your just people, all of them, because they each have great thoughts and ideas, but only you know how to take what they're going to share. Use that information to direct towards your target. That's good advice um, to yourself and for those listening. Uh, specifically, buy us lunch. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Uh, uh, you've been fabulous, David. If people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, David Rambajan. Also, rambajan.com, which might be hard to spell, but I'm also at sharpshootersblueprint.com. You could follow me there. And what's interesting, someone said the other day, Hey, what's your website? But it doesn't look like it's in. I said, I'm not selling anything. Not yet. Because <laughs> they're like, what do you do? How do we hire you? I'm like, no, I'm just painted forward right now. So, you know, I'm writing on Medium, I'm sending out newsletters, I'm speaking at events. So uh, follow me on there. And at some point, maybe next year, I'll have offerings at different levels that are affordable for where I could share with other small businesses, maybe in different cohorts or programs to learn uh, some of my experiences, how they can scale their businesses as well. That's awesome. And uh, eventually a book release that I will yeah, be yeah. very excited to uh, to get a copy of. Um, yeah. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes, uh, all your links and everything there. Yes, uh, you've been amazing, David, like I said. So uh, to all our listeners, I hope you had a wonderful podcast because we know we did. And until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, Book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep, keep building, building scale. scale. <laughs>